0: Questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: Tonight, we'll take you on a journey back in time to see the world our ancestors built and the legacy they left for us. Atlantis is one of the greatest enigmas of the past still to be solved. Every year, new facts and theories emerge which together form pieces of a grand puzzle that will one day take us to the gates of a long-lost civilization. Tonight's guest will reveal another important piece of that jigsaw by sifting through the literary evidence throughout the ages that paints a picture of human history. An ancient, unknown megalithic civilization adept at constructing magnificent pyramids and highly stylized buildings in faraway places such as Egypt, Mexico, and Peru. These people appear to be part of a worldwide culture and possibly the fabled Atlantis, representing a missing epoch of a maritime nation in possession of a science and technology that is still beyond our perception. According to our guest, Atlantis did not vanish in one terrible day and night, but survived in a variety of different forms well into the historical era we will examine the role of Atlantean survivors in restarting civilization in different parts of the world, from Gobekli Tepe and Egypt to India, Mesopotamia, and the Americas. He personally documents their colonies and outposts around the globe, offering unique views of the colossal network of pyramids, earthen mounds, and other megalithic monuments they left behind. These monuments testify to the survival of a sacred science of Atlantean origin, The survival of the primeval atlantean tradition through various secret societies into the modern era he says not only that atlantis was real but that the whole world is now being called to become a new atlantis and awaken into a new golden age
0: you are listening to veritas if this is your first time welcome home to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material join the veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, Rebounders, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulphur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrich.
1: Marco Vigato is an independent researcher into ancient mysteries and megalithic civilizations. A native of Italy, he lives in Mexico City and has traveled extensively across Europe, the Middle East, North Africa, Southeast Asia, North and South America. He holds an MBA from Harvard Business School and a BA and a Master's in Science from Bacconi University. He is also a passionate photographer dedicated to documenting the evidence of ancient, advanced civilizations and secret sites around the world. He has appeared on several TV shows and published in various print and online journals. His latest book is titled The Empires of Atlantis. In which he presents a comprehensive theory of the origin and development of civilization based on the teachings of various esoteric traditions and mystery schools around the world and supported by the latest scientific discoveries his website is marcovigato.com and direct from mexico city i'd like to introduce marco vigato hello marco and welcome to veritas
2: hello mel thank you very much for having me on the
1: show it's my pleasure. Well, Mexico City, you live there. I love that city. I lived there for, for many years, go there quite often. And uh, f- first of all, what moved, what made you moved to Mexico City? I'm curious.
2: Well, it's really mostly a personal reason. My wife is Mexican. We met in the States. Uh, as we're both studying there. So decided to move here, and which then proved to be a uh, really uh, good choice also for my other interests for archaeology exploration that really gave me an opportunity to get to know much more about Mesoamerican um, cultures. So do my own uh, extensive explorations around Mexico and Latin America.
1: And that's why I ask you, because when I moved to Mexico City, I knew of the pyramids, you know, the usual tourist Teotihuacan and all that. But then I started learning more and more as I was there, you know, looking at the cathedral, and next door they had this tarp, and there were you know anthropologists, archaeologists digging, and I was asking questions, and I found out that a lot of the churches there were built on top of 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 temples, Mayan, Aztec, Olmec temples, and that just immediately started this journey that I'm in now. So, in a way, I can see why uh, you enjoy living there too.
2: Absolutely. So there are so many sites uh, to discover. Uh, I've been uh, exploring very extensively, pre hundreds of sites by now uh, in Mexico, Central America. So definitely a really exciting place
1: to be. Let me start with a non-traditional question since you're in Mexico City. Have you found a connection between Atlantis or any of the old world, Hyperborea, Lemuria and Mexico?
2: I think there are plenty, actually. So one of the most significant connections I found, I also talk about that uh, in the book, uh, is uh, at Xochicalco. This is a site uh, located about one hour and a half uh, south of Mexico City. It's a site of a really beautiful and very unusual pyramid uh, by Mesoamerican standards. It is entirely built of a truly massive uh, interlocking. Blocks of stone. But what is truly really fascinating about the pyramid is uh, that uh, the uh, low relief uh, carvings that ornate, decorate uh, four of its sides seem to depict uh, a cataclysm uh, very much uh, like the one described by Plato for the destruction of Atlantis. It's actually a story, an account of the destruction of the primeval homeland of the gods and how the gods then sailed and reached the coast of Mexico where they established a number of sacred cities, including Xochicalco itself. So this is just one example, but I think there are many more uh, examples. I'm just now uh, writing a second book uh, that uh, will focus on uh, the megalithic mysteries of Mexico and the possibility that uh, still large Largely unknown megalithic civilization existed in Mexico long before the time of the Mayas and the Olmecs that might be a direct descendant of Atlantis.
1: Let me pick on Egypt for a second. You probably have heard the name Dr. Sahih Hawass, right? Have you? Absolutely. Yes. So yes. a lot of times when you ask him questions and you may even say, so did the Egyptians build the pyramids? And if you even insinuate that perhaps the Egyptians were a nomadic culture that bumped into the pyramids and perhaps the same thing happened in Mesoamerica, could these – and by the way, I don't use the word aliens, ancient aliens. You know, I, I, I believe that – Humanity has been here for perhaps millennia. Why is it just, just? I don't mean to confuse you with the question, but why is it that a lot of people think those must have been built by aliens instead of maybe the humans who were along at the time?
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't believe in ancient aliens. So, um, I do believe in very intelligent, very advanced ancient humans. Now, so, uh, um, so when you are confronted uh, with uh, seemingly inexplicable monuments like the pyramids of Egypt or sites like Tiwanaku, Pumapunku in uh, Bolivia, you have to ask yourself the question as to whether the uh parting of history that uh, we have been told uh, is uh, correct because uh, uh, the the reality is that uh, I I believe uh, that an entire page, many maybe even entire chapters uh, of our human history have been erased at the end of the last ice age, a whole episode of civilization was entirely wiped out. And I think that the very intelligent, uh, very intelligent, very advanced people lived on this planet uh, Thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of years ago, and they were responsible for the construction of all these seemingly inexplicable structures. We don't need uh, uh, ancient aliens to explain that. We just need uh, advanced, uh, highly intelligent uh, ancient humans.
1: Why do you think that Atlantis, from the three alleged lost civilizations, why is it the most prominent when it comes to the lore?
2: Well, it's uh, the most recent uh, in terms of time, uh, at least uh, if you believe in the teachings uh, of uh, the esoteric tradition. They speak about several different cycles of creation atlantis uh, truly represents uh, the cycle of creation immediately before our own it's truly the civilization of uh, the last golden age we are talking about uh, uh, the likes of the uh, nuria hyperborea which are also names that feature very prominently in the esoteric tradition we're talking about even earlier cycles of creation so if uh, our knowledge of atlantis uh, being the cycle immediately before our own is so muddy and so limited, uh, just just imagine uh, what knowledge can we gather of these even earlier cycles. So, uh, I think it's uh, very, I'm uh, not going to say it's an impossible endeavor, but uh, certainly, uh, very, very difficult, it would be a very difficult endeavor to ever uncover any trace of these earlier cycles. But I do believe uh, in the possibility that even earlier civilizations than Atlantis existed on our planet.
1: When we hear Atlantis, we think of Plato, of course, did Plato also discuss the other civilizations, Le, Mu and Hyperborea, or just Atlantis?
2: Well, not directly, but um, if you read Plato's account, uh, not only in his two most famous Atlantean dialogues, but also in the Laws, uh, um, a number of his other dialogues, he seems to talk about multiple cycles of destruction. Uh, he actually mentions that uh, uh, there were several cataclysms of fire and water that were responsible for the cyclical. Uh, rise and fall of civilization on our planet. So, uh, Plato, I think uh, you really believe in this cyclical view of history, of time, um, so that Atlantis was but the last uh, in a longer cycle of uh, civilization of course Plato does not refer directly by name uh, at least to any of these previous cycles but it's very clear in his mind in his view there are multiple cataclysms. now there is actually a passage in uh, one of Plato's Atlantean dialogues so when he well he actually has one of the Egyptian priests uh, say that whereas the Greeks only remember of one flaw the one great uh, deluge, uh, the rest is that there were many, but we only remember the last one,
1: uh, the most recent one. So essentially, there were different resets. Obviously, we have uh, the the, the knowledge of the last one. Now, for those who don't know, Plato told the story of Atlantis around 360 BC, correct me if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. and uh, he said that they were half God and half human. Mm -hmm. Now, you discuss this in detail in your book. Tell us more about the when the gods walked the earth
2: yes uh, plato is very clear on the fact that uh, the origin of atlantean civilization was uh, essentially the incarnation or the manifestation of a divine principle that took on human form or took on a human body Um, so the primitive the original atlanteans were truly divine beings Uh, they were um, highly advanced by uh, using like maybe a more modern language would define them as like very advanced uh, uh, beings or very advanced uh, souls that incarnate and took on uh, human bodies. And this is uh, something that we find uh, not only in Plato, but in many other esoteric and religious traditions around the world, this idea of the incarnation of a manifestation of uh, a divine principle. And then what followed was basically a descent uh, into matter, into materialism, well, Plato is the actually the first uh, source, uh, at least in uh, in the Western uh, culture, to talk about uh, the myth of Atlantis, and that fits uh, within a much broader tradition, a much broader concept of cyclical time uh, that dates back uh, in Greek philosophy, at least to the poet Hesiod in the seventh century B.C. What underlies this worldview is the idea of multiple ages of man and multiple cycles of creation. So uh, that uh, Plato actually states uh, very clearly in his uh, Atlantean dialogue so that even though we may only remember of one Great Flood, one global cataclysm. There were in fact many, and every time civilization had to start over again. So when he tells the story of Atlantis, is truly, truly describing the civilization of uh, the last golden age, while leaving open uh, the possibility that other, even more advanced civilization might have existed uh, before that and were in turn uh, wiped out uh, by cataclysms. Now, if we compare this view of cyclical time to what is uh, nowadays uh, the prevalent uh, view of modern contemporary evolutionary theory. This is a, an entirely different uh, worldview. According to evolution, we went uh, from uh, more simple, primitive forms towards more evolved, uh, more sophisticated forms. And this applies to uh, life sciences, as well as to the study of the evolution developmental civilization. Whereas uh, for Plato, as well as uh, for um, the, the the esoteric tradition, really, uh, the, this model is flipped over. So you have to imagine that humanity started from uh, a, a divine, almost. Perfect state, and then through a process of uh, decadence, gradually fell into matter and lost that uh, uh, divinity, which is exactly almost word by word, a Plato's account of Atlantis. It's the story of the downfall of uh, this mighty civilization from an almost perfect divine state um, uh, towards different stages of decadence and materialism until its uh, ultimate downfall.
1: Was this a worldwide civilization or was it just a continent somewhere?
2: Well, uh, Plato does not really uh, state uh, that, however, it's uh, sort of uh, implied in his account that the Atlanteans started uh, a war to conquer uh, pretty much all the lands on both sides of the Atlantic. Actually, Plato mentions that the Atlanteans had established colonies, uh, both uh, in uh, what would be today Europe, uh, North Africa, as far as Egypt, but he also quite curiously mentions Atlantean colonies uh, in the continent uh, on the opposite side of the ocean, which might actually be one of the earliest mentions of uh, America or a continent beyond uh, the Atlantic uh, in ancient literature. Now, if we also look at uh, the remnants, the vestiges of Atlantean civilization in terms of monuments, uh, megalithic structures around the world, we find a remarkable similarity. It almost suggests that this civilization was truly a global civilization. So, what it suggests is that uh, even though Atlantean civilization may have developed on the Now sunken mid-Atlantic landmass, it spread uh, throughout the world on both sides of the Atlantic, influencing the development of uh, uh, civilizations in both the old and the new world.
1: Because you're in Mexico City, I'm going to ask you a question that you might relate with, too. When I was there, I was talking to somebody who loved all these topics, and (laughs) he proposed that that Atlantis was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and they knew that a cataclysm was coming, and a group of people were able to migrate to, say, Egypt or (laughs) Egipto, and a group of people in the West migrated to Mexico, Mexico, Mexico-Egipto. They both rhyme. Do you see a correlation here?
2: Well, actually, uh, I think uh, the the idea that Atlantean survivors colonized uh, both sides of the Atlantic is truly really a very old one. Um, actually, I do uh, think uh, there was certainly an exodus of people from Atlantis, which occurred over a very long period of time. I don't think it was just... One single cataclysm, there were multiple cataclysms, multiple episodes of uh, subsidence and sinking uh, of uh, land uh, in uh, the North Atlantic Ocean that triggered this massive migration. So some of these. uh, Uh, migrations ended up uh, in Egypt uh, where they were responsible for the great flourishing of pre-dynastic Egyptian civilization. But then certainly some of these survivors also reached the coasts of uh, North, Central and South America where you find many very similar legends about the arrival of some uh, uh, very advanced uh, uh, human beings, uh, some civilizing heroes uh, like Quetzalcoatl, Viracocha, Bochica, Kukulkan, like all these, uh, 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 like the galaxy almost uh, of... Uh, Uh, cultural bearers and uh, civilization heroes that brought civilization to these lands in a very similar way as uh, we find in Egypt, uh, for instance, the idea that the Egyptian gods, and specifically the god thought associated with knowledge and writing, had its homeland uh, in the West uh, and also in uh, Sumeria and Mesopotamia. We have these uh, very interesting figures of the Oannes, uh, the Apkallus, the Anunnaki, they're all associated with uh, the the uh, introduction with the beginning of a civilization and of all the arts of civilization, like agriculture, monumental architecture, mathematics, astronomy, the calendar. So we all believe that to be gifts of the gods so were brought to this lands by survivors or by messengers from a now lost civilization.
1: Where do you think the Atlantic Ocean got its name? Well, I
2: think the most likely uh, explanation is that it got its name from from Atlantis itself. Um, At some point, uh, there was uh, certainly a huge landmass uh, in uh, the North Atlantic Ocean that uh, might have been called Atlas uh, or Atlantis. Actually, it's quite remarkable to find very similar place names. in uh, the the Greek tradition we have the name of Atlas, the Titan uh, that was believed to carry the weight of the world and then of course you have Atlantis but then it's interesting to find very similar names also across the ocean in ancient Mexico where the Aztecs believed that their original homeland was a land called Aztlan that was also located in the east and the same name uh, with some slight variations Atala also appears in the oldest of the Hindu Vedas to describe uh, a mythical lost land uh, in the west that sunk in the ocean.
1: When it comes to the time period where Atlantis existed, obviously, this must have been a drier time for the planet. Uh, there was so much landmass everywhere. I mean, if we had to speculate now, and all these three civilizations or continents, Hyperborea, uh, Mu, and Atlantis, they sunk to perhaps thousands of feet, Right. So can you can you with your research can you depict what the Earth would have looked like back then?
2: Well, I don't think that all these. Uh Uh, let's call them continents or continental landmasses were necessarily contemporary. Uh, Now if we try to reconstruct uh, the the history and the geology of the Atlantic Ocean what you will find is this massive uh, submerged mountain chain which is called the Mid-Atlantic Ridge which I believe is uh, the most likely location of Atlantis particularly the area around uh, the Azores plateau and there is uh, very strong uh, evidence from not only the field of geology but also uh, the analysis. Analysis of uh, marine currents. Of uh, fossil remnants of uh, both plants and animals, that uh, these are uh, entire plateau, roughly the same size as uh, Plato's Atlantis was at some point uh, uh, above water. And so that that's what I believe was the most likely location for uh, Atlantis. Now, when when trying to reconstruct the shape of the world in that very remote time, we need to think that uh, not only um, there were like. Continental land masses like Atlantis in places where right now uh, there is only water or there is only ocean or at most uh, some islands that might be like the azores, uh, remnants of these uh, uh, sunken lands. But also the geography of our own continents uh, was uh, pretty very different uh, to begin with uh, the region of uh, the Sahara Desert, which is today the Sahara Desert, was most likely a uh, very fertile a verdant valley. There is evidence that a very large inland sea existed in what is nowadays the Gobi Desert in uh, Central Asia, so even the shape uh, of our present continent was uh, very different. Now if we go back to the time of the last ice age also because so much uh, of uh, the ocean's water was trapped uh, in the polar ice caps, it is believed that sea level uh, were on average uh, over 120 meters, some uh, 280 feet lower than uh, they are today, which means that some very extensive uh, uh, portions of the continental shells were above You would have had land bridges, for instance, connecting uh, the British Isles uh, to the European mainland, a huge landmass, almost the size of Australia, in uh, the Pacific Ocean uh, called Sundaland, that connected uh, basically what is today um, Indonesia, Papua, New Guinea, Malaysia. Uh, So all that was dry land as late as the last ice age. So uh, certainly... The geography of the world was very different back then, but it would be extremely difficult to reconstruct a complete picture of uh, what it looked like because we don't know exactly um, which areas uh, were affected uh, by cataclysm, uh, which portions of the Earth's crust uh, sunk uh, or rose, uh, because there is also evidence, for instance, for instance from the Andes Mountains of South America the entire mountain chains might have risen even by thousands of meters, thousands of feet, uh, within uh, the geological recent history where no mountain chains existed uh, before. and Whereas entire regions are now desertic, uh, would have been very fertile, uh, rich in water and uh, vegetation, or quite the other way around. The regions that are nowadays covered in forests over barren deserts.
1: I'm thinking of Lake Titicaca, for example. How does saltwater life get on top of Lake
2: well, this is one uh, very clear example of uh, the uh, effect uh, of these geological upheavals that occur- occurred towards the end of the last last ice age. So in parallel with the sinking of land, uh, for instance, in the North Atlantic Ocean, the sinking of Atlantis, in other parts of the world, uh, like in the Andean region of South America, there is evidence that a whole Andean plateau or Andean uh, uh, altiplano rose uh, quite suddenly, at least in geological terms. by several thousand meters, actually trapping vast bodies of uh, seawater at very high altitudes. Uh, There is the question, uh, as you mentioned, of uh, Lake Titicaca, which is uh, a saltwater lake. It's located at an altitude of over uh, 3,800 meters, so over 12,000 feet in uh, the uh, Andes Mountains uh, between uh, Peru and uh, Bolivia. Quite curious, you have uh, the ruins of what is probably one of the most mysterious and enigmatic archaeological sites on earth, uh, that of Tiwanaku, uh, that uh, at some point there was. Obviously, a very large uh, port. Now, uh, some believe it was just a a port on the lake, uh, on Lake Titicaca, but there is actually evidence, this was the opinion of some of the early excavators of the site, that this was in fact a massive seaport that at some point faced uh, the Pacific Ocean and was uh, uh, upheaved to its present elevation, over 12,000 feet, uh, in the Andes Mountain by some unspeakable cataclysm of uh, antiquity.
1: I'm thinking of. Machu Picchu it was discovered by an American archaeologist and in, in 1911 how does something like that become unnoticed for so many years and even pyramids in Mexico were not discovered until a few hundred years ago
2: Well, the world is a uh, full uh, really of lost cities and uh, lost the civilization now, Um, Of course, we all love the uh, romantic idea of uh, the uh, explorer like Hiram Bingham, uh, the discoverer of Machu Picchu, who single-handedly finds these uh, amazing uh, lost cities. Uh, (laughs) The reality is uh, is quite different. There there is evidence, for instance, that Machu Picchu was actually very well known to the local uh, indigenous inhabitants, uh, the local uh, populations of the valley of the area of Cusco. But uh, Hiram Bingham was still the first Westerner. To discover and report back on these uh, on these ruins, I think it's very often the case. Uh, it's, it's very hard to find places on this planet. I would say there are almost no places on this planet that have not been visited in a way or another by by humans, and so. Uh, truly lost cities, uh, I think are probably very, very, um, few, at least if we think of like this romantic idea of a great city covered in vegetation or, uh, shrouded uh, by, by the jungle. However, uh, like recent discoveries, like think of Gobekli Tepe in Turkey, uh, show that There is so much that we do not know about the ancient past, so much that is uh, still buried, maybe uh, under our own uh, uh, feet. Uh, So there are definitely many, many lost uh, cities, uh, but probably like we have to move away from this almost romantic idea of a lost city, just awaiting a brave explorer to, to, to uncover it.
1: I'm not an anthropologist. An archaeologist, but based on my travels only and my humble opinion. But I guarantee you, if you go to most cities around the world and you dig maybe 10, 20, 30 feet, you could find so many things that we never thought was, was there. Have you encountered that in your research?
2: Well, uh, of course, like many, many cities, Mexico City itself, where I live, was literally built on top of the Aztec capital yeah. of. And so uh, you have many examples of that throughout the world. Uh, uh, Actually, many, many cities, uh, many ancient cities uh, were continually rebuilt or reconstructed by later generations. And this is uh, what you find at several ancient sites. Um, I think think also, and this is, by the way, what I think uh, also compounds uh, the question of dating, the chronology of many of these sites. If you go to places uh, like even itself, for Giza in Egypt, you find multiple layers that were left by different uh, civilizations. Now, what is quite curious at many of these sites is that uh, the most sophisticated layers are also the oldest, which is, again, quite contrary to our modern contemporary idea of uh, evolution. Take a site like Gobekli Tepe, which is now uh, believed uh, to be, if not the oldest, at least one of the oldest examples of monumental architecture in the world. We're talking about a site that was built with massive blocks of stone over 50 tons in weight uh, in some cases uh, over 10,000 years ago in southeastern Turkey. Now, uh, if you take a site like that, uh, it's quite puzzling to observe that the most sophisticated enclosures where you find the largest stones, the most uh, uh, finely uh, carved uh, pillars uh, and uh, uh, ornamentation. These are also the oldest. It's as if that population became uh, steadily worse at temple building uh, rather than better with the passing of time because then um, if you move on uh, in time towards uh, uh, 8,000, 7,000 BC, the enclosures become uh, much simpler, the style of the carvings, much uh, cruder until all construction just suddenly stopped around 7,000, 7,500 BC. We just don't know why. It's almost as if this civilization was brought there from elsewhere, already fully developed, uh, and uh, rather than evolving there, it just uh, withered and died.
1: I always find it interesting that in this part of the world, and even in other parts of the world, the, the last part of a word of Afghanistan, uh, Kazakhstan, or here in Mexico, L A N Astlan, Tepostlan, Tenochtitlan, and the word Enoch in the middle of that word Tenochtitlan. Have you found a connection between Enoch and Tenochtitlan? No,
2: well, not not really, but it's a uh, it's a curious. Uh uh, analogy, and there are many examples uh, like that of uh, linguistic analogies among uh, very, very far away cultures. So, even if you stay within uh, within Mesoamerica, like the very uh, word, uh, um, like, well, the, the Greek word uh, theos, uh, uh, "theos," which means God, you also find in ancient Mesoamerica to describe, for instance, Teotihuacan, which was the city of the gods. Mm. Um, you have uh, other, other similarities, like in the word Tepe, for instance, which throughout the ancient Persia, the Middle East, in some Turkish languages, uh, designates a hill or a mountain, uh, and uh, the word uh, tepetla or tepec, which you find also in in Mesoamerica, to designate uh, a mountain, like the Popocatepetl, for instance. So uh, these are these are very curious analogies. I'm not suggesting there was a necessarily a direct linguistic connection. But if you believe in the idea that uh, a lost civilization of prehistoric antiquity influenced the development of culture on both sides of the Atlantic, it's as well possible that this civilization uh, may have uh, um, at least imprinted uh, some of its uh, uh, language uh, on uh, the different like peoples and cultures that uh, it came in contact with.
1: In the time that you've been there, and I don't mean to continue talking about things in Mexico, but I just find it fascinating. Uh, for example, you know, and some of the other dialects that you see in Mexico. Is there one or any indigenous group that could attest to what Plato has said? I mean, we're looking at the allegories and Plato's word. But all these people, they have oral tradition coming from hundreds, if not thousands of years. And a lot of them were, we were told, what happened to the Mayans? They escaped. Well, a lot of them are still there. If you go to Quintana Roo, you see a lot of them there. You can ask them questions. What have you found?
2: Well, I, I think we have to, to begin with, uh, we have to be very cautious with oral traditions, because even uh, when they appear to be authentically genuine, there is always uh, um, uh, the risk of uh, like them becoming corrupt uh, right. over the passing of centuries. Um, uh, but I do definitely uh, think, at least from from what we can uh, know from uh, the ancient codices and uh, the accounts are also preserved and transmitted by the Spaniards, there were uh, clearly... Uh, a tradition in ancient Mesoamerica of uh, multiple uh, epochs or multiple age, world ages uh, or periods of uh, creation. There is uh, the very famous legend of the Suns among uh, the Aztecs uh, that, at its core, uh, suggest the existence of uh, previous uh, world ages that all ended uh, in a cataclysm. So according to this belief, uh, we currently live in the fifth uh, world age, which is also eventually doomed uh, to to end. But before these uh, world age in which we live, there were four previous ones that ended in cataclysm, like great floods, uh, rains of fire, for instance. So uh, there is uh, still this idea of previous cycles of creation of previous humanities, they were destroyed. And then, of course, I think I've already mentioned that the Aztec myth of Aztlán, the Aztecs had in fact a very strong tradition of being essentially foreigners in this land, that their ancestors. Came from uh, somewhere else, uh, possibly from a land in the east. So all these traditions of uh, Quetzalcoatl, the feathered serpent, were said to have arrived on the coast of Mexico on a raft of snakes in very remote antiquity of and of having brought there the gifts of civilization. They almost suggest that these civilizations still preserved the memory, a very clear memory. Of uh, these uh, um, gods, of these uh, like uh, civilizing gods that brought civilization to their ancestors in very remote antiquity.
1: How truthful is the fact that supposedly, when the uh, the tribes were moving throughout Mexico, they were told that once they found an eagle on top of a cactus eating a snake, that would be the place where they would settle and that was what mexico city was and by, by the way i seen not know mexico city was full of water too
2: absolutely yeah it was a, it was an island uh, in the middle of a lake now the, the tradition of the eagle on the on the cactus of the is actually a genuinely pre-hispanic tradition there is actually a wonderful bas relief carving of that uh, shows uh, what is probably a representation of the uh, main temple pyramid at tenochtitlan the templo mayor in the in the national museum of anthropology in Mexico City. So, it was a genuine pre-Columbian emblem. Of course, the story was then retold uh, by, by the Spaniards. But now, if you uh, analyze the Aztec story of how they came to Mexico from Aslan, according to some accounts, uh, going through all these different mythical places like Chicomostoc, the place of the seven Keys, uh the mountain of Culiacan, there are a number of like mythical places uh, along the along the journey. Uh, these are there is a striking uh, uh, parallel to the biblical Exodus, uh, actually, where you have. Uh, People guided uh, by their god uh, that uh, uh, moves away from uh, their original homeland or from uh, where they had settled uh, for a while in order to reach uh, these uh, promised land where they would eventually settle and establish a great and mighty empire as the Aztec Empire was in ancient Mexico.
1: How do we date the Atlantean Cataclysm?
2: Uh, well, uh, there are there are a number of sources. To begin with, uh, uh, Plato states uh, that the Atlantean cataclysm, or at least the last major sinking of Atlantis, occurred 9,000 years before the time of Solon. Now, since we know that Solon was uh, Plato's uh, great-grandfather, lived in around 600 BC, then we can... Uh, uh, Fairly accurately date uh, the sinking of Plato's Atlantis uh, to 9600 BC. Now, uh, this is very curious because uh, um, over over the last couple of decades, uh, uh, really, as we um, have uh, scientists have studied uh, um, ice core samples from Greenland, uh, from uh, Antarctic, in order to reconstruct the history of Earth's climate, they have detected a very anomalous uh, drop in worldwide temperatures in some place by over 14 degrees Celsius around the same time as uh, the sinking or supposed sinking of Plato's Atlantis. So this is a time period which is uh, presently known, not use a geological term, as uh, the Younger Dryas boundary event. Uh, This was a a cold spell, almost a mini ice age that occurred between uh, roughly 10,900 BC and 9,600 BC, with a very abrupt uh, beginning and an equally abrupt uh, ending uh, in uh, 9,600 BC. And it's certainly very curious that this is uh, almost exactly to the year the uh, time period uh, the plateau refers to as uh, when the sinking, or at least the last major sinking of uh, Atlantis occurred. Now, this is uh, one source, uh, but we also have uh, several ancient chronologies that were preserved by ancient civilizations uh, throughout the world. We have king lists uh, that have been preserved from uh, Sumeria, from Egypt, that actually stretch back into very remote prehistory, the records of uh, divine and semi divine kings uh, in Egypt that go back over 30,000 years. There are even documents uh, uh, written uh, in uh, cuneiform uh, from ancient Mesopotamian Sumerian texts uh, that uh, describe uh, various uh, dynasties of gods, demigods the ruled over Babylon for over 400,000 years. And in these ancient chronologies, some key dates uh, appear to stick out, uh, not only in the Middle East, but also if you compare these chronologies to similar records, we find in ancient Mesoamerica and other parts of the world, it's almost always the same set of dates. They all seem to point to the same time period around the end of the last ice age, around the 10,900 to 9,600 BC, as a time of the last major cataclysm and the sinking of Atlantis.
1: What are the three ages of Atlantis? People think that Atlantis just existed and. In- Boom it, was, boom, it was gone. But there were three ages that they went through, right?
2: Yeah, this is actually something that I suggest very strongly in the book. Uh, People, and uh, many people particularly, that read uh, uh, Plato's account of Atlantis, uh, they uh, would almost incline to consider it as a a relatively limited uh, episode. So um, Plato actually states that Atlantis sunk uh, in a single day and night. However, uh, this is extremely unlikely from all that we know about the history and the development of Civilization, or to reach such a level of uh, scientific technological advancement as Atlantean civilization uh, possessed, uh, a very long uh, period of uh, cultural development and the evolution must have preceded uh, that. There is actually evidence that Atlantean civilization itself went through multiple cycles uh, um, of rise and fall of uh, civilization long before the time of uh, its downfall. And that's why I suggest this idea of three ages uh, of Atlantis. This is an idea that uh, is truly derived uh, from uh, the esoteric tradition. that speaks of multiple um, cycles of Atlantean civilization, but also from uh, the ancient chronology that I was referring to, both Babylonian, Egyptian, Mesoamerican chronologies. They seem to refer to different uh, uh, cycles uh, or sub-cycles also within uh, uh, what, they, what they call the Atlantean cycle. So as we think uh, about the course of Atlantean history, what are all these uh, different sources uh, suggest is that the origins of Atlantean civilization may actually stretch back tens of thousands, if not even hundreds of thousands of years. There might have been uh, several Atlantean civilizations, several Atlantean empires that in turn flourished uh, on this now lost, now sunken mid-Atlantic landmass and went on for thousands of years to influence uh, the development of civilization on uh, both sides of the Atlantic. Now, something else I suggest in the book is that even though the last major sinking of land in the North Atlantic Ocean that coincided with the sinking and destruction of Atlantis around 9,600 BC was certainly a cataclysmic event, I nevertheless suggest that Atlantean civilization did not vanish. It still survived in some form. Maybe... Much more decayed uh, form, but there is evidence uh, that um, these are uh, like migrations uh, from Atlantis uh, towards both the New World and the Old World continued uh, well into the European Bronze Age. So we're talking about time period much closer to us, um, around 1500-2000 uh, um, uh, BC, with the last of these people invasions actually being recorded in the Egyptian text as having occurred in 1176 BC.
1: If you had to describe, and this is one thing that I've never heard from a researcher uh, we told before, but if you had to depict or describe what a, a the regular Atlantean look at, look, it looked as at the time, if you ask Sahih Hawass, he would probably tell you, oh, they were Egyptian. If you asked uh, people in Mesoamerica, they might say, well, we came from Atlantis. So which one is it?
2: Well, I think that's, uh, uh, of course, uh, to be honest, uh, uh, a very difficult question to to answer because even as we think about uh, Atlantean civilization in many of these lands uh, that uh, I believe were colonized by Atlanteans like Egypt, like uh, uh, Mesoamerica, the reality is that uh, the uh, purely Atlantean population uh, probably represented a very small percentage of uh, the total population, almost like an educated, highly advanced elite, uh, but then the majority of the population was probably still the indigenous stock. So uh, I don't think exactly is wrong when he says the pyramids were built by the Egyptians. The problem is, uh, where did the engineering, where did the knowledge for the The pyramids come from? Uh, Right, right. uh, And I think it's very similar also in the case of uh, Mesoamerica or South America. Much of the workmanship was actually, I do believe, was actually uh, indigenous, was, was provided by the local population. But uh, the uh, the direction, some of the uh, key ideas, they came from elsewhere. Um, so that, that's why I think it's very difficult to characterize the Atlanteans as such. Um, uh, there is uh, also, uh, of course, like we have many accounts of how these uh, um, highly evolved uh, beings, these highly advanced uh, culture bearers, uh, look like, for instance with many accounts from Mesoamerica that depicted them as uh, like very tall and bearded uh, for instance. Uh, uh, but, but again, uh, I, I would not necessarily take all of these accounts at uh, face value. I think most of the evidence that we have actually shows that Atlantean civilization was probably a, a multi-ethnic uh, uh, society itself. So what really characterized it is, uh, was uh, uh, more it's, uh, its culture, its sacred science, its level of development, rather than necessarily belonging to a single ethnicity or a single human race.
1: Do we have the technological ability, Marco, to determine, for example, I'm thinking of Angkor Wat, I'm thinking of Pumapunku, places like these around the world that even with today's technology, we cannot even come close to replicating what they had. Is there a way to connect these this cultures at all, and did they exist simultaneously at, during that time?
2: yes, so uh, when when you're talking about all these different monuments, now, one fundamental challenge uh, that you face is that in spite of uh, the the apparent similarities, uh, like when you compare, for instance, the temples of Angkor to the Maya pyramids, uh, uh, the, the overall, like the worldwide diffusion of uh, the step pyramid, this idea that these uh, great uh, uh, monuments or ceremonial complexes were built uh, in the image of heaven, almost to replicate the pattern of the stars. So these are concepts. Uh, that uh, um, we find uh, pretty much all over the world uh, among ancient cultures and civilizations. Now the question is, uh, uh, where, why, why do we find uh, all of these uh, analogies, all of these uh, similarities? I think there are really uh, two explanations for that. Uh, well, three really. Uh, one, uh, which is. Uh, the explanation of mainstream science is that uh, uh, there's truly nothing to see there, meaning that uh, all of these uh, developments and similarities arose independently of each other with no connection whatsoever. Uh, And I think this is a very simplistic, uh, very naive uh, explanation because when you actually uh, go beyond the surface, uh, look in depth at some of the traditions you find in these places, the mythical accounts, you find uh, similarities that go down to the time Details in many cases that cannot in any way be explained by independent origin or independent generation. So this really leaves only two other options, two other possibilities. Uh, one being that uh, there was at some point a transoceanic contact, meaning that these cultures came in contact with each other. But again, as you suggest, uh, this is uh, this is very unlikely because uh, it's not only the distance uh, in space, but also the distance in time between. In these monuments, we're talking about the, the Egyptian pyramids, even by the conventional um uh, uh Egyptological dating. Uh, they cover a period between roughly 2600 uh, to um, approximately 1900 BC, whereas uh, the monuments and temples of Angkor, they are by all uh, standards uh, medieval. They were built uh, between uh, the 10th and the 13th century AD, so we're talking about over 3,000, almost 4,000 years after the Egyptian pyramids were built. And In the case of the Maya pyramids, some of them were truly uh, pretty contemporary with with Angkor, but the origin of the Maya pyramid probably dates back to uh, 1000 or 1200 BC to the time of the Olmec. So, again, how do you reconcile these uh, these 10 differences? That's why I think that the idea of direct transoceanic contact uh, uh, is uh, is probably not uh, a suitable explanation for the similarities, even though I do believe that there was. A, uh, to some extent, uh, uh, mutual influence and contact among ancient cultures, even across the oceans. So this leaves open only the third hypothesis, which is the uh, uh, that uh, some unknown civilization of prehistoric antiquity actually influenced uh, the development of culture in all these different parts of the world. So what you find in this monument is truly the realization or the manifestation of a very ancient uh, tradition that probably dates back uh, uh, into into prehistory that was inherited from Atlantis uh, or some other lost civilization of prehistoric antiquity and went on to influence the development of civilization throughout the millennia.
1: I remember my one and only... And by the way, I'm not sure if your microphone is scratching or something, just an FYI. My last conversation with Zachariah Sitchin, I asked him about if there's another cataclysm and we have silicon-based chips right now, hard drives, in order for us to to diffuse our knowledge to future generations that may find it, it would almost be impossible. However, these people have cuneiform tablets that, you know, the test of time, you know, they have endured it time and time again. Could there have been other civilizations in the middle that had similar, perhaps, technology that we have now, and this is why they went to oblivion?
2: Yeah, and it's not only the records that they left. Uh, um, it's also like, the, uh, pretty much like everything, the monuments. If you think about the pyramids, they were clearly built to last uh, through, through the millennia. So it's a very different concept of building for eternity. We have lost nowadays, uh, uh, for how, uh, we can feel. Pride uh, about all the realizations of our modern civilization. If you look at our uh, impressive skyscrapers, uh, uh, the internet, all these uh, incredible technological developments, uh, uh, they will probably just be uh, dust within uh, the passing not even of millennia, maybe even of just a few centuries. It's actually a paradox that uh, the, the, the more a civilization is complex and sophisticated, the more fragile it also becomes. Just think of what would be the effects of a solar storm, for instance, that we know have occurred multiple times in the past. to almost wipe out uh, the totality of our civilization um, because of like, the collapse of the uh, electrical power networks of uh, the internet would have effectively uh, turned back the clock of civilization uh, by at least a century if not uh, is not more so then think of what could have been the effect of a truly devastating worldwide cataclysm like uh, that uh, um, like the one suggested uh, by proponents of the Younger Drys Impact Hypothesis. At the end of the last ice age, the idea that a massive comet uh, uh, impacted our planet uh, uh, around 13,000 years ago, wiping out an entire civilization in causing uh, a cataclysmic devastation uh, throughout the world. So you have to ask yourself the the question of what would survive uh, such a cataclysm. Uh, Almost certainly not the the microchips, uh, the mobile phones, uh, the internet, but the stones uh, will have a very high likelihood of surviving. This is exactly what we find. We find stones uh, from uh, ancient civilization. Many of these are... uh, stones are the evidence of very advanced, very sophisticated machines. There are plenty of examples from Egypt, uh, from uh, Peru that we couldn't uh, even replicate, uh, um, even even with uh, the finest machinery, the finest equipment of today. Yet uh, these uh, uh, the evidence is there to show that these machines uh, existed uh, in. Uh, uh, remote antiquity, even though we may never find a trace of the machines that created this object. The objects are still there, and they bear all the marks, all the footprints of uh, machining. So, um, I think, uh, again, going back uh, to, to the question of what would survive, certainly the, the stones, and they do believe uh, that uh, these, uh, these people, this lost civilization, at some point was aware of the fact that uh, some cataclysm was uh, going to happen that would wipe out uh, civilization. So they uh, probably prepared themselves for that cataclysm. They may have created repositories of knowledge so that some of the knowledge of the Antediluvian world could survive for the benefit of a future humanity. That's what many people believe uh, was uh, the true purpose of the pyramids and their enigmatic monuments, to serve almost as holds of records, as repositories of knowledge, For for the benefit that could be rediscovered by future humanity to help therefore to restart civilization after the cataclysm.
1: If you and I were flying above the Amazon forest and dropped a laptop in a parachute and it dropped in a in a tribe that has never had contact with the modern man, what would they know how to do with that laptop? They probably wouldn't even know. The same thing right now we have hard drives. If there's a cataclysm, and 100, 200, 500 years down the road, somebody finds them, they wouldn't know how to access the data inside of a 10 terabyte hard drive. But what if they use crystals and there must be somewhere available to us, but the question is, how do we access the knowledge that they saved and left behind for us? Because I have a feeling they knew was going to happen and future generations would tap into it.
2: Yeah, well, I'd like to believe that if they knew that this was going to happen, they probably also took measures to ensure. That this knowledge could be retrieved and could be accessed in the, in the future by a civilization that possessed the technology and the means uh, to uh, retrieve uh, uh, these uh, uh, information. So that, that's why, uh, of course, like I I, I did not know what uh, type of uh, uh, supports they might have used, but they uh, certainly uh, would have been very durable support. That's why I think the crystal would have been a pretty obvious choice. Where I think even even today when we are thinking about how pers- to preserve data for for millennia. Crystal is probably the best way to to do that because it's essentially um, incorruptible. Uh, now. Uh, i also would would like to believe uh, that in a way they uh, would have left also some keys uh, to decipher and to access uh, these uh, these records it would still be a, a enormous task i mean even if uh, some of these uh, repositories uh, could still be accessed and uh, and recovered uh, with the amount of documents or material that could be retrieved it would not only fill entire museums uh, but uh, even the task of translating of going through the records would probably occupy us for centuries or, or millennia. It's actually something very similar, if you think about that, to what happened during the European Renaissance with the rediscovery of many of the Greek, uh, uh, of the ancient Roman texts. What that brought about uh, was a true rebirth of civilization after the Dark Ages. So uh, uh, that's, that's what could happen if uh, these uh, Atlantean archives could be once again uh, recovered, uh, truly uh, rebirth Earth, a return to that golden age, uh, really like the, the ability to resurrect and bring back uh, the lost civilization.
1: This is a, a question that you may perceive as conspiracy theory, but here goes. Do you think there might be a concerted effort to keep this knowledge away if they have found it or if they find it in the future? Would they allow a new library of Alexandria to be, go out there, we have free energy, cures, longevity for the rest of the population. Do you think the powers that be would allow this knowledge to come out?
2: Well, I think um, to begin with that this knowledge has probably been uh, already found and discovered and lost again many times uh, throughout history. We have uh, a evidence uh, of that uh, from uh, the the appearance of seemingly unexplained, out-of-place knowledge uh, throughout uh, throughout history. If think about uh, the appearance of these uh, extremely sophisticated uh, maps. The, the Antikythera
1: uh, to, uh, mechanism. The Antikythera
2: mechanism, uh, for sure. That would be one example. The portal and charts of the Middle Ages uh, that showed, or seemed to show, the profile of uh, the continent And it's not as it looked like uh, uh, back then in the 12th and 13th century, but at the time of the last Ice age. So uh, there is evidence at some point uh, someone uh, was able to access uh, these these repositories of knowledge. Now, if there is a a deliberate uh, conspiracy, as you say, to to conceal that, uh, um, I don't know. I think... uh, uh, Certainly, if we look back at episodes like the destruction of the Library of Alexandria, the destruction of the Chinese records, um, the destruction of the Great Library of Carthage by the Romans, for instance, you, you almost wonder whether these were just acts of God or if they were not like part of the deliberate process. Uh, plan to, to to destroy and conceal knowledge of uh, the antediluvian world which uh, by the way if uh, you um if you, if you think in terms of uh, the christian uh, the biblical tradition there might actually be a reason for that, because uh, in the book of Enoch, uh, for instance, some of the it is said it was the knowledge of the Antediluvian world that uh, brought about uh, the fall of man, uh, the great flood, and God's punishment. So there is almost the idea that this knowledge wasn't only totally dangerous, but even sinful in a way, so that even organized religions like Christianity, Judaism, uh, may have taken an active role at the destruction of this knowledge, like what happened, for instance, at the time of the Spanish conquest. When countless, probably thousands of manuscripts uh, uh, containing uh, the whole body of uh, Maya history, astronomy, scientific knowledge were destroying huge bonfires uh, by the Spanish priests and by the Inquisition. So uh, I definitely think that organized religion certainly played a role in uh, the destruction of knowledge or destruction of knowledge that was seen as potentially dangerous to establish religion.
1: What language, if any, did they use in Italian times? Because that's one thing I've never been able to figure out.
2: Again, I, I think it's a, it's a very interesting question because uh, it's almost a paradox on one hand because uh, if, uh, if this civilization was truly a global civilization, you would expect to find evidence of, uh, of a common language. language. Uh, but I think this is a simplistic view, right? So if we imagine that our civilization were wiped out uh, tomorrow, Let's say uh, if archaeologists ten thousand years from now were to excavate uh, um, in uh, in the middle of Washington D.C., they would of course find like stones with inscriptions in English, uh, so they would deduce that language of that civilization was English. But another archaeologist excavating in Shanghai would find uh, Chinese uh, characters there. So how do you reconcile that? I think uh, if uh, if we think about uh, how that civilization looked like, I think we have to move away from the idea that it was essentially a monolithic civilization that possessed one language, one culture, one ethnicity it was up. Uh, I think a uh, much more akin to the world of today, pretty like a multi-ethnic, multicultural civilization that certainly shared, uh, the, the elements of the principles of, uh, common science, uh, common, uh, maybe even spirituality and, uh, and religion. But, uh, at the same time, I find it very well possible that it also encompassed many different uh, cultures or subcultures, uh, each one with their own uh, language, uh, their own uh, ethnicity, and their own like variations on uh, the um, uh, overall uh, like Atlantean culture and civilization.
1: What happened in the Sinai Peninsula, in your opinion, that it uh, almost looked like there's green glass and uh, Mm -hmm. what could have been water at the time. I mean, there's erosion around the pyramids. So one must conclude that there must have been water at the time. What caused the desert of that time? Uh,
2: Well, uh, I think uh, there were certainly um, reasons related to climate change. Actually, what is suggested in the book is that uh, the sinking of Atlantis at the end of the last ice age uh, actually altered uh, deeply the pattern of uh, deep sea currents, uh, which uh, actually caused, uh, uh the, the time of the wet Sahara when the Sahara Desert, what is today the Sahara Desert, was uh, still a verdant and fertile valley what should turned into the desert we we know today. So certainly the uh, changes uh, in uh, the like distribution of the terrestrial land masses, uh, the sinking of uh, some land masses at the end of the last ice age also had a very deep uh, impact uh, on uh, climate. Uh, now, uh, since you're talking specifically about uh, the Sinai and uh, some areas uh, of the ancient world appear to bear almost like uh, the, the the scars of some uh, sort of like cosmic impact or devastating energy. There are actually many accounts uh, in, uh, in India particularly but also Throughout the ancient world, it seems to suggest the use by these ancient advanced civilizations of the equivalent of weapons of mass destruction that could have been responsible for some of the effects that we see today in certain parts of the planet in terms of desertification, uh, vitrification as well, where you find like uh, the... uppermost layers of soil being completely vitrified. Of course, there are a number of other explanations as well, like cosmic impacts, volcanic eruption, but I think that's a possibility that's certainly worth considering.
1: Same thing with walls of Jericho. Something very advanced must have been used at the time. And this is why we have to just completely erase the fact that technology goes in a linear fashion. Because if you can go back in time, I can say that Maybe a hundred, maybe even not a million years ago, there was technology there that we can't even replicate today.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and there would have been remnants uh, of uh, that technology. Uh, Atlantean science, Atlantean technology did not vanish overnight. Uh, there were probably still pockets uh, of uh, relatively advanced uh, culture that survived thousands of years uh, after the fall of uh, Atlantis. And that's where I believe uh, some of these uh, seemingly unexplained uh, advanced technologies of the ancient world may have come from. We have numerous examples that uh, um, if you stay within uh, the the framework of uh, the Bible, of Judaism, and and Christianity, you certainly have references to the Ark of the Covenant that many suggest uh, resembles an electrical capacitor. Uh, You have description of aerial crafts, like the visions of Ezekiel uh, in uh, the book of Enoch, uh, as well as the book of Exodus. So it seems to suggest that at least some of that very advanced technology was still in use or survived uh, uh, throughout uh, throughout the ages until pre- fairly recent times
1: do you think a world government may have that technology on the ramps in the event they might need it almost like a samsung option
2: uh, I, I, I don't think so uh, I, I mean i would love to believe that uh, uh, but for, for all of my experience uh, with uh, uh, government, uh, I don't think that's really what would uh, truly, truly interest. Now I, I don't exclude the possibility that some governments uh, would have carried out like research into the potential of these. Uh, uh, ancient technologies, but uh, I think that most of that uh, would probably be mentally unusable uh, today, at least without a full understanding of the scientific principles uh, uh, behind that. It's like going back to your example: is as if uh, we were to find um, uh, a mobile phone uh, a thousand years from now, we have no idea about uh, uh, electricity or about um, how it worked be basically unusable. Yes, we could tell that it was made by some advanced civilization that clearly possess the technology and means to create that, but it would be basically basically useless. That's why um, I think that uh, the, 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 as much as they would love to believe in that, but I think that the potential for back-engineering or retro-engineering Atlantean technology is probably very, very limited, uh, unless uh, some uh, complete repository of uh, Atlantean knowledge is uh, discovered also provides the keys to understanding some of the scientific principles behind uh, that technology.
1: Our sound is great. We had some technical difficulties at the beginning, so I'm so glad that I have Marco Vigato here today. We have to take a one and only break. The Empires of Atlantis, the origins of ancient civilizations and mystery traditions throughout the ages. Marco, how can people buy the book?
2: Well, the book is available on Amazon, it's available through uh, all the major bookstores uh, in uh, the US, Uh, it's distributed by Simon & Schuster, so you can buy it online, Uh, you can buy it at uh, your favorite bookstore, it's also going to be soon available internationally, um, at least in the um, UK and the English-speaking world, and uh, through Amazon worldwide.
1: We have one more hour to go with Marco Vigato. I have a lot of questions. I want to get really, really deep now in part two. This is Mel Hasselrich, and you're listening to Veritas.
3: Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it and click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.